It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I am your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by some very special guests. All the way from North Charleston High School, we have some friends from North Charleston High. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So before we get started, I'm going to allow everyone to introduce themselves, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Hi, I am Mary Studemeyer, and I am an assistant principal at North Charleston High School over curriculum and instruction. I'm Sean Clark. I'm a transformation coach for the State Department of Education assigned to North Charleston High School for support. My name is Ricky Reyes. I am an assistant principal of our ESOL program, as well as a football coach here at North Charleston. I am uh, Nathaniel Spitalski. This is my second year at North Charleston High School as a assistant principal. I am Christian Camarillo, and I am an instructional coach, one of the instructional coaches here at North Charleston High. Hi, I'm Latir Rosenberry, and I am the English teacher here at North Charleston High School. Hi, everyone. My name is Yvette Skenezny, and I'm one of the instructional coaches here at North Charleston High School. Hey, I'm Joey Edwards, and I'm an English teacher here at North Charleston High School. Hi, I'm Brianna Smalls, a math teacher here at North Charleston High School. Uh, This is Darby, uh, principal of North Charleston High School. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. We'll go ahead and jump into the conversation. So my first question for you is, what does it mean to be a school of innovation? And tell me a little bit more about the process that your school went through in order to become a school of innovation? It was a process for sure. And a process that we started in March. Oh my goodness, it's March. So it's been a year. It's been a year in this process. Um, It it feels like we've accomplished so much, but um, we basically, our our district um, at this time last year um, came to us and and said, you know, there's some legislation that there's, we could be a school of innovation. And, you know, innovation can mean a lot of things. But one of the big things that means is that we could seek some waivers with the state just to free some of the red tape that we have in public education that causes us to keep doing the same thing over and over. So the process um, was we had to seek approval first from our local school board. And then we had to apply with the state. And I believe it was, gosh, like August this this summer that we were finally approved. But even more than just the waivers, and the waiver that we have on seat time has probably been the one that it has made the most difference for us um, as far as really rethinking time and space rather than the hours that a student sits in a seat. So with that one, Even before that, we started to think, you know, the waivers are going to help us, and they absolutely have, but there were so many things that we could already do and rethink even without those. Um, But to be a school of innovation, um, a lot of that had to do with think tanks and really rethinking the way that we've done education for over 100 years. Um, I want to pass it over, though because that's the overall process, but I'd love for some of our team members to talk about going through that and and what it felt like and some of the 
the barriers, but also some of the the amazing things that have happened. The process was uh, not as um, complicated. It was literally coming down with these uh, the teachers here and some of the other teachers that uh, work here and literally writing down ideas on a big poster board and sticking them up on the wall and looking there and saying, okay, I like this idea. How can we make this work? And I like this idea. How can we make this work? You know, this idea might be, you know, two or three years down the road, but let's, let's shelve that. So the process was literally writing down ideas, kind of a grassroots movement um, and seeing what could stick immediately and what we want to accomplish two, three and four years down the road. Um, and it was a lot of, lot of meetings, a lot of, a lot of work, but we've gotten it off the ground. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I think has kind of stuck with me is one of the, one of the principles I think was not being afraid if, if something doesn't work, if something, if we fail at something, you know, and being okay with that and, and learning that uh, it's okay to fail um, as long as we are learning from what we fail at, because there's been times when, you know, when I was a teacher, a lesson wouldn't work. And if, if for whatever reason, it was a great idea on paper, but it just didn't work. It's, it's the same concept with this, you know, and, and just uh, eventually getting to the point where um, it's starting to become more of a smooth operating machine as opposed to, you know, just trying new things out. But we're always looking for people who are willing to try uh, and not afraid to, to fail. I, I really want to go back to something that was said. So you mentioned that as a part of the waivers that you all applied for and got, you're waiving seat time. Now, seat time is a, is a hot topic in education. So tell me a little bit more about why waiving seat time was important to you and what that has allowed you to be able to do after having received that waiver. So seat time it was probably the biggest leverage point um, because currently, you know, and, and I always go back to the industrial age of education, um, what we've been doing for 100 years. You know, the high school today for many students, unfortunately, looks like high school that their parents went to and the same high school that their even grandparents and great grandparents went to. Um, and the world has changed dramatically and drastically. Um, so with seat time, you know, that very industrial concept of, okay, everybody is going to go into this classroom, these four walls, and you have to have this number of hours in this course to get a credit. And what we've seen is there are students who can master standards more quickly for certain courses or students who just needed a little bit more time. And currently what we do for those students who need more time is we fail them um, in many ways, but literally fail them and they have to repeat the course. And what that does to, I think, a student's psyche, to their you know, self-worth, to everything when, when I failed just because I needed a little bit more time is is what we've seen is crucial. And so what this has really allowed us to do is look at an individualized learning plan for students to really determine what do you know and what do you not know? What have you mastered based on our state standards? Um, and what have you not mastered? And time is not is no longer 
something that drives that. If you can do it quicker, great, and we move you to the next course. If you just needed two more weeks in the next semester, great, we'll we'll do that for you. Um, so I think the motivation that we've seen in our students and the amount of teacher clarity that that has provided for our students to really understand why am I doing this work, they get to own it. They've gotten to be empowered for that. But it's really about that flexibility of time and, and place that it doesn't have to just be a certain amount of time or even in a certain, you know, four walls of a certain classroom. I love that. Just to chime in, as a teacher, we have a front row seat to see our students and their capabilities or skill level. And like Ms. Sudermeyer said, the seat time with the waiver allows us to give them more extended time to help them become successful. And for the students who are already mastering those skills, we're able to push them at a faster, more productive rate. That's such an interesting concept. And I think the next question might be, how do you go about doing that? And I know that we're, we're going to get into that um, a little bit more in this conversation. I'll shift to another question. Why was this a focus for your team to come together in a collaborative way and think about things differently when it came to how teaching and learning was functioning at your school? How did that come about? And why was that a focus and a priority for your team? Well, I think the most basic answer is what we were doing wasn't working. I mean, we had we had kids that you would look at them and, and they knew it, but they, they knew the information, but, you know, they, they weren't able to pass the class because of uh, some silly theory that was, you know, hundreds of years old. I mean, our kids are, our kids here are doing things that are incredible. And now we've kind of taken the, the constraints off and our kids are, are, are flourishing. So it was just, it was just looking at it and, and just with the old adage of you keep doing the same things over and over, you're going to get the same results. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of a no brainer, but it does take a lot of uh, brains and a lot of work, you know, because it's, it's, it's a strategy that isn't necessarily widely used. So we're kind of, you know, going through this, um, you know, process for the first time and inventing it as we go. But I mean, I think the most simple answer was because there was a frustration level with our teachers, their frustration level with the administration, frustration, and most importantly, frustration with our, our kids, you know? So why not do something different? You know, <laughs> if you look at the, you know, as Ms. Studemeyer had alluded to, if you look at the past hundred years, you know, even from when I was in school, it, it, the world is completely different, but yet we're kind of stuck for whatever reason in education, doing the same things over and over and over. And we're dealing with a different student uh, than we did 30 years ago. It's, it's not the same. So, you know, we're just moving on to more innovation and just that's, that's what the kids want. And it's just, you know, time for us to start listening to what the actual the kids really, really want. Well, and I, I concur with uh, Mrs. Patelsky. Everything he said was true. But one has to look at our demographics. Uh, one has to look at our society as a whole. One has to look at the many and the varied problems of our communities. They are a problem, they are problem to the extreme. And here in Charleston County School District, as in all school district nationwide, one size does not fit all. We have to curtail our educational structure toward our community. Uh, that is one of the major reasons why. Also, 
this uh, society of us of ours, they expect the same thing from students who come from a well-balanced, middle-class, upper-class background. And when you have these poverty-stricken um, students and you want to hold, maintain, have them to maintain the same standards, we cannot continue using the same thing. So we adjust this educational structure according to the needs of our students and our community. That's the basic background because again, one size does not fit all because this community, you're talking about abstract metaphysical poverty. Not that all are poor, absolutely not. But the great majority, um, when you have students in terms of seat time, when you have a student who has a job 16 miles away, who has to catch Uber, $16 one way, 16 on the back, uh, how in the world is this child going to maintain seat time? Or when you have a child's mother who has cancer, who has two young babies, and you're working a job, the student, to take care of your family. Why would we keep the mandates in terms of seat time? So that's why it was structured in that manner, ma'am. Mm, thank you for sharing that. And part of my speaking is so passionate about that because oh, I, just I love, love it. What this team is doing. <laughs> I love it. I love the passion because I, I hear every everything that you're saying and, and everything that you're saying is valid. I just know when Ms. Studemeyer was talking earlier about what, what we do and how this came about, she brought up the think tanks. And those think tanks were not only held for the teachers, but for the students as well. And the students was like, yeah, we want to do school differently. Like, it's great. Um, it's not, they just, they wanted a purpose for being here. And they felt like, like with the 100 years of teaching we've been doing, that the purpose wasn't there. And so we wanted to switch our purpose so the kids would want to come. And because we want our kids to be in our building. And that that's what we got from the think tank is if we do school differently, we can get more kids in our building, more kids being successful, and more kids wanting to participate in class. I love that because it definitely speaks to that student ownership. In education, a lot of times the adults are owning every single decision and our clients are the students. And we never think to ask them, well, what do you think? And how would you solve for this? So I love that you were working with each other as staff members, but you also engage the students to see what their thoughts were. I love that. So we'll keep it moving on. Um, my next question for you, share some of the strategies or structures that you are able to now put in place to help meet learners where they are. So you kind of gave me a little bit of context around the why, now, how are you making this happen? Our biggest leap of faith this year was the pods. And pods are mixed classes where we got different pods. We kind of did it differently first semester than what we're doing now. But as far as the pods go, our focus, one of our strong focus was getting those kids who need to graduate the credits they needed. And like Mr. Studemeyer was saying, the seat time was hindering it. Seat time was a big issue. And so with the waiver of seat time, what happens in parties, those kids that need to recover grades and assignments and stuff like that, they can get that done. Um, and it's not held the, oh yeah, you need to do this class all over in a semester. Like We're going to put you in this class again and you're going to sit here and go through every lesson possible. But that's not happening when pods, when they get here and they have credit recovery, we diagnose them to see what they skills they need to master in order to get that credit. And we give them those assignments 
and we're pulling them and we're doing interactive things with them so they can get their credit made up. So once they get their credit made up, they're free to move on to another class without that restriction of seat time holding them back. And with that, that's been very successful because we had kids missing a lot of credits, not looking to graduate this year. And we got a handful of kids that wasn't eligible for graduation, graduating in June because those pods was working for them. They're able to move at their own pace, get through things. And I think having a, because in each pod, there's three teachers. So if one teacher doesn't got it, boom, I can go to another teacher, get help, move on with my modules. And not only are we doing credit recovery in those pods, I know in our math pod, we're doing initial credits as well. So they get a little different because they get help from their peers. They're getting help from their teachers. It's a it's a system operating in part that's that's working for North Charleston High School. Wait, so let me ask this question. So you mean to tell me that you're not having students enroll in a whole different credit recovery course and sit down for the whole semester and do credit recovery? No, ma'am. We we test them when they get in here and they be like, Oh, I got that skill. I don't need that skill. So why would we sit them through that module again? And they don't need that skill. Honestly, they got it, so they should be able to move on. And once they move on and they get through all their skills and their modules, they get that credit, boom, and they on to the next. I love this so much. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I'll kind of piggyback, like uh, Ms. Small said, we have different pods. You know, we have our credit recovery pods. We have an acceleration pod, and we also have an AM and a PM um, ESOL or English language learner pod, which is awesome because in the um, ESOL pod, we have a math teacher an English teacher and the ESOL teacher. And so the AM and AM pod is for our lower proficiency level students and PM is for the ones that are higher. Um, but it really gives the teachers a chance for cross-curricular connections and interdisciplinary. Um, and then we think about the academic vocabulary, you know, that's stretched across all contents and it's very difficult for our English language learners. So they collaborate together to create lessons that incorporates the academic vocabulary in a very safe and comfortable environment for our students. Um, and to see the success of our English language learners this year is unbelievable. Just the ones that have been in the pod, you know, they went from last year to just baby steps and, you know, speaking just good morning with, you know, small sentences and phrases. And now they're walking around the hallway, just talking to their peers. And it's, it's awesome. And they get to make those cross-curricular connections now with those three teachers in there. And like Ms. Small said in the, um, their pod, you know, you're, you're getting peer assistance as well in a comfortable environment. So they've done really well and flourished in those. I would also add, uh, I would say one of the biggest impacts for our ESOL pods has been the amount of kids that have transferred in the last year from their home countries. Uh, some of those kids were in refugee camps at the border, and this has created an awesome opportunity for those uh, young men and women to try to catch up with their their, their classwork, because uh, sometimes we get transcripts and sometimes we don't. And so this really assists those kids that that, that want to graduate, that they need to graduate, that in their home countries they graduated sometimes at a younger age. And so it's a whole new way of life. And this really helps them ease back into or ease into our society uh, and help out with our culture in many ways, especially educationally, where in some of their countries, education isn't as valued as it is here. So we're trying to to help them out with that transition and process the best we can throughout these pods. And our teachers are doing a great job of doing that. Now, I, I mean, I want to point out too, this isn't something that we're just saying the the data backs it up. 
you know, we, the data that we pulled uh, backs up everything that we're doing. Um, as far as ESOL pods, the amount of A's and B's we've seen in the classes is almost doubled. I mean, it's it's just they're hard numbers, and you can't you can't argue with this hard data. So it's not like we're just making like I said, not like we're just making this up. This is there's hard data backing everything that um, the team is doing, and like I said, it's 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 impressive. And the increase in attendance with our students has been amazing, um, especially just, you know, speaking about the ESOL pod, I mean, they want to be here. And, um, you know, we know attendance is an issue everywhere due to COVID and everything right now, but just just the increase in seeing, you know, them here every day has been a success because they want to be here and they're, they're enjoying it. I was able to check out the video that you guys did highlighting your students. And I will link that in the description for those of you who are listening, but just to hear the students speak to pods and why they love it so much, just in those different populations that you guys are speaking to, it really just shows that not only are you all attending to the academic side of things, but you're also attending to the social emotional side of things as well, because it's all connected. And quickly, um, as Camario mentioned, acceleration pods, because, you know, a lot of times in in a single classroom or a school, we can easily focus our efforts um, in one group of students based on data. But are we hitting all students? And we notice too that we have students that should be gifted and talented and in honors classes that weren't for whatever reason. Who knows what happened in the past or they didn't do well on the day they took that IQ test or whatever it, it may have been. And so we really wanted to increase students taking our honors level classes. And so that acceleration pod has allowed us to do that. It's the same model. It has an English and a math teacher in there. And we really target, we get recommendations from our teachers, our um, students, parents, school counselors, of who, what students are out there that do have that potential to go and do even deeper learning. And it's been wonderful because it's, become its own pathway really to allowing acceleration sounds like, oh, we're going to get them out of high school quicker. That's not really the premise. The premise is we can get these kids in dual enrollment classes quicker so that they have some college credit and and they have um, experience with that. So that's been wonderful to see. And the the teachers um, in there are doing some amazing interdisciplinary things, career pathways, all sorts of things. So we really wanted that to focus on on all tiers um, of our students. And what's wonderful is these these pods intentionally have become you know, live PD in a sense. When, it, when other teachers are wondering, well, how would I ever do that? Or how do I work with this ESOL student? Um, I don't know the strategies. They can watch these teacher leaders do it themselves and and the ripple effect of that because the waiver we had to have a system a mechanism to get that going just like you asked but there's been a ripple effect in other classes what we might call singleton classes to where uh, one of our chemistry teachers she said I really want to build this mastery based system I can do that in my single class I see how this can be done so it was a mechanism to get it off the ground but it doesn't have to stop and hasn't stopped with just our, our teachers in, in the pod. Well, I would like to say something right quick. 
Speaking yeah. for the teachers, I feel like it is it's a benefit for us because we not only get to work with the students in a closer setting, but we also get to work with our colleagues in order to help students. In the credit uh, recovery pod for English, Mr. Steimer and Mr. Edwards works with the kids very well. Mr. Steimer might start with the opener. Mr. Edwards might go to the standards, and then I might follow up with the reading. All of the students have a chance to work with all of the teachers, but it gives us a chance to build closer relationships, not only with the students, but with our, our colleagues as well. And back to when she said a safe environment, getting children to read in front of their peers is a very difficult task. In the pod, we are allowed to build those type of environments and relationships to where no one feels that they are ostracized. They are all working together. They all read. They help each other. It's more like a family atmosphere, but it's a constant, a constant reminder of how we build and make things better at North Charleston High School. Well said, well said. So tell me a little bit about how the changes that you guys have made or the innovations that you've made is resonating with not only students, but also families. Well, with the students, I can honestly say that kids will walk up and say, hey, I want to be a part of the pod. I want to get in the class. And I'm like, no, you're not a part of this pod. And I even had one student say, Ms. Rosendary, you said I was supposed to be in your class in the pod. And I'm like, no, not yet. But it's a good problem to have. We want them to be a part of the pod. We want them to want to have that type of environment. And I think it's a great feeling when a kid wants to be a part of your class. To piggyback off of Ms. what Ms. Rosendary said, uh, specifically with the credit recovery pod and being able to call the parents and let them know that those children have made up those credits and present how well they've done, because there is such a stigma if a student does fail, it really does generate a lot of joy with them. And you can tell because we call as soon as they pass, like, hey, they were able to make this up. And you can just hear it in their voices. They're so, so excited about it. And you can see the students are very proud. They're high-fiving. They want to tell everybody. I got students I don't even see anymore. They come up to me every day and they're like, you realize how fast I passed that class? And it's it's one of those things. It's, it's a whole celebration between all of us. So it really does go a long way. I was just going to say, too, it changes the conversation as far as on the administrative side, because a lot of times you get so far behind, there's a sense of hopelessness. Uh, and that generates a lot of you know, behaviors and just just uh, uh, not wanting to come to school. And it changes the conversation that we're able to have with the parent to spell out and say, no, look, you you can do this. You can absolutely do this. And then the parents, you know, are like, they can. And then it, it sparks that whole kind of, that kind of uh, conversation. So it's been a great tool to help build some of those bridges uh, with some of our kids who may have had that hopelessness feeling because for whatever reason, as Mr. Jarby alluded to, they may be working you know, 16 miles away and they, and they just can't do it or they feel like they just can't do it. And now we're saying, no, look, here's an avenue for you to do that. And the, the parent just literally lights up and, and in turn, then the, the students kind of feed off that energy. And it's, it's, a, it's just a, the ball just starts rolling and, you know, it, it uh, is nothing but positive for that group. 
I would also say, you know, again, speaking of our English language learners, the parents have become much more involved in their education. They're much more interested. You know, the kids are going home and saying, this is what I'm doing. And they're seeing that success with their English learning and, and the, they're becoming involved. You know, we're hearing from them more because of what their kids are going home and saying and, and what they're seeing. Um, so that's that's definitely a positive. And I think, too, I think, too, that you need to have a principal that uh, really kind of sets the tone. Um, just yesterday, Mr. Hard probably didn't realize I was paying attention, but there was a uh, problem with some communication with a with a parent, and we had our admin meeting yesterday that ran long because we had a lot of things on the agenda. Um, and I think it was Mr. Reyes actually said something to Mr. Darby about a student um, and not being a whole of a parent. Um, and Mr. Darby looked up the address and at seven o'clock at night drove to that parent's house to talk about their child's education. So, I mean, while yes, we're all, all good at what we do. It, it, the glue of the whole thing is, is a leader that is willing to do those kind of things. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, if you ask anyone, anybody here, um, they're all going to tell you the same, whether or not the whole Walmart thing. I know Mr. Darby is one of those guys that doesn't like a lot of limelight, but that, that is the glue. That's, that is, I think what's missing um, in a lot of schools is that leader that is when you're tired knocking on doors and, you know, and, and saying, Hey, you know, your student's doing great. Or, Hey, you know, we noticed this about you. Uh, I had a meeting today with somebody um, with uh, one of our students and his dad and Mr. Darby, you know, is, is trying to help him, you know, finish out his schooling and, you know, get him into, a, you know, in, into possibly getting into the workforce and just, so that that's the stuff that, again, that I'm not just saying that because it's, he, you know, he's here, but it's, that's literally what the glue is, is that's kind of holding all of this together. You take that mental attitude and you apply it throughout the entire school because it, because it's infectious and, you know, you want it, you want it to succeed because of an example that is being set by Mr. Darby and, and uh, the staff. When you have someone like a Mr. Edwards, the Ms. Small, Ms. Rosendary, where kids actually flock to them, I mean, like Mr. Edwards and uh, Ms. Rosendary and Small, they have actually turned their programs around, ma'am. We have never had this many, as many uh, EOC accomplishments or successes. So with these teachers, ma'am, again, it's the rock stars. I was just going to chime in really quick. So I'm actually brand new to the team. I joined um, North Charleston High School about a month ago. And one of the things that, you know, attracted me to the school was um, the leadership that I saw like all over the news with Mr. Darby and just honestly, all that I learned in my, in my research and preparation for like my interviews was just, I can tell based on the data, speaking to what Mr. Spatulski said, um, you know, the data shows just the, the, the massive improvement and the growth that has happened here. And that's something that really I wanted to be a part of. And so what I can say and what I can contribute to this conversation, because I haven't been here long. Um, the only thing I can say is like, I, I come from a background of special education. I used to teach special education students. So I'm very accustomed to, you know, IEPs and really individualizing um, learning for students with special needs. And I can say that that's happening here on like, that's happening for every single student in this building. And that's something that you don't see everywhere. So that is just awesome for me just to see as a special ed teacher. And then too, I just have to speak to like the colleagues that I work with. Everyone is so passionate about what they do and they want to be here. They want to show up to work. And I think that that also contributes to, to all the good things that are happening here. When you have the right people in the right seats, 
doing the work. Um, it just makes it that much more cohesive. And so, yeah, that's all I'd like to add to that. Thank you so much for adding that. Um, I think that just put the icing on the cake as, as to everything that's been said. I'm hearing collective efficacy. Uh-oh, we're doing a dance. You, hit a, you said the key word. You said the key Ooh, word. Collective efficacy. I, did, I told you I didn't stuff. make it up. I didn't make the word. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And also... One thing that I've been fortunate to learn just in in my current role, it really is true that everything rises and falls on good leadership. And I love that um, you guys are not only saying that you have the right people, but you have the right people in the right spaces. And so it takes a leader at every nuance level to make the whole thing come together. And I love that you guys are, are, are living that, not just speaking about it, but you're living that right now in your work. It, it, that reminds me too, I think in empowering our, and I love Edwards, love that rising tides lift all ships. And we're laughing at, you know, collective efficacy because I don't know how many times I've said that. And that it's become a joke because I say it so much, but I told them I didn't make it up. Um, but we really do look at the research of, of John Hattie and how impactful collective efficacy is and it you have to be able to lean on people um and if you can't lean on the people that you work with and if you can't empower people that you work with it's not going to work rosendary edwards smalls um camarillo so all of you know how many times that i've said i don't know what do you think because i don't have all of the answers and nobody does nobody in this building does and if if I did, I hope I'm, you know, in the ground and I'm not here on earth anymore because that means I have nothing else to learn. But being able to empower our teachers to make decisions is crucial. It is absolutely crucial. They have to come up with ideas and they have to try things and fail at things and, you know, succeed at things. Um, if we don't empower our teachers, we, we really have, have lost lost sense of, of what education is really about, you know, and um, I think that doesn't happen enough to where teachers are allowed to have the freedom to make the best decisions for their students in their classroom and to feel okay with trying something new, that it's not going to be punitive. You are celebrated when you try something new, even if it doesn't work. Um, and we've also, I could talk about this forever, but I won't, um, but we've set up personalized PD pathways. And we have nine steps in our North Charleston High School progression, much like a student in a class masters and works on things at a different pace. Our teachers do too. And our teachers have personalized goals based on that. And it, the whole idea behind it is to push everybody in this building to be innovative and to try new things and to have that personalized classroom with student agency. And it's wonderful because we can give really specific feedback too, based on what Ms. Smalls is working on versus what Mr. Edwards is working on or Ms. Rosendary. A, Mr. Darby said a one size fits all does not work for a school and it definitely doesn't with professional development either. Um, that's why I think professional development has gotten such a bad name because it's, it's turned into meaningless things and a one size fits all. So 
we definitely are, are proud of what we're doing here with with just supporting our teachers as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you all, I know our time is coming to an end, but before we go, I do have one quick rapid fire question that I would love to hear your thoughts on. So are you ready? My rapid fire question is, if you could give one piece of advice to a teacher, a school, or a district who has an idea of being more innovative in their practices and in their approaches with students, but doesn't really know where to start, what would you say to them? What advice would you give? Don't stop believing. Or don't be afraid to fail. Failure is a good thing. Ring the fail bell, Spitalski. Use your fail bell. It's okay to fail and make mistakes. I do want to tell you what that's about. Um, Yes. We stole that concept from Google. They have like an innovative educator certification program. And their um, philosophy is to ring the fail bell when you fail, because the concept is you're going to fail forward. There's always something better you can do, and you can always gain improvements on anything that you think you've done wrong or made mistakes on. So I think it's a great concept that we incorporate is ringing that fail bell. That's awesome. And from the district level, I would simply ask, trust the people within the building, please. It doesn't have to always be top down. It could be collaborative and collegial. I would say prioritize your learners and your classroom needs before anything else. I think my my word would be like the little engine that could, you know, try, try, try again. And I think that's what we've been doing. If it didn't work, we'll try something else. And if that didn't work, we'll try it until we figure it out. And that's that's all across the board for the students, for the teachers, for the admin. Just try it. The worst thing we can do is fail. But like in math class, you pick up your eraser, you erase and you start over again. Mm-hmm. And maybe also like remember your why, like why it is that you want to do that and like have that be your North Star. Because I think when we go back to the why, um, it, it gets us to like our focal point. I would say we, we did something recently. I'm sure everybody's heard of the one word um, and picking a word. And my word's been endurance. When you have a dream, don't stop. You know, it, there have been so many times through this past year that there have been tears. There have been uh, so many celebrations. There's been every emotion that you can imagine. But at the end of the day, and earlier, I say tears, tears of joy. Um, earlier, I'm sitting here listening to everybody talk, and it brought tears to my eyes because there's we have come so far and we have done so much. and. It's, it's just absolutely amazing um, to see. But at the end of the day, the why and what it's for is, is for our students. They're not numbers. They're individual human beings that deserve it. And that makes it, it worth it. Well, thank you guys so much. I really have enjoyed this conversation. And I know our listeners have greatly benefited from this. Thanks again. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!